1: It's Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. Football season is underway. Basketball is right around the corner. And there is no better place to get in on that action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers. When you win you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has a lot of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out the same-game parlay plus. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more during this football season. And get ready, NBA season is right around the corner. All right, welcome back to Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We've got a great show for you this week. I am coming to you from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I am here as part of the broadcast team for the Zone fight. Dimitri Bivol, Gilberto Ramirez, terrific fight. I'm going to get into that and much more with my guest this week. Ade Oladipo, a broadcaster with Zone, there's a lot of other media over in the UK. He's going to join me. Eddie Hearn, the promoter of this event, he's going to join me to run through a whole bunch of topics, so we've got a lot to get to on this show, but I did want to start off the top by bringing attention to something I saw last week. Last week, on the undercard of the show headlined by William Zapata and Jojo Diaz, you had a super bantamweight fight between two undefeated prospects, Hector Valdez, who was the Golden Boy promoted prospect, and Max Ornelas, who is a free agent prospect, also undefeated, both 15-0, they fought in the first fight of that telecast. And, look, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a great fight, but this was a fight that Max Ornelas clearly won. Uh, He controlled the ring with his movement, he landed more punches, his combination punching was effective, The eyeball test just told you that he won the fight. Yet at the end of the fight, two of the three judges scored the fight for Valdez 97-93. to They effectively gave Hector Valdez seven of the ten rounds. That's lunacy. We're going to name these judges, too. Raul Caez Sr. was the judge. Alejandro Rocian was the other judge. Two scorecards, 97-93. Outrageous, in my opinion, sitting there. I bring this up. Because this happens way too much in boxing. And when this happens, you've got the lives of fighters that are screwed, negatively impacted. I spent some time talking to Max Ronellas during the week. He knew how big a moment this was for him. He knew that if he won this fight, he was probably going to get signed by Golden Boy. He would be ranked in the top 10 in the 122-pound rankings. And he would have some structure to his career after operating without much over the last few years. Now he doesn't have it. He's not going to get signed by Golden Boy. He's probably not going to get a rematch. I give the WBA credit. They're one of the sanctioning bodies I criticize a lot. But in the aftermath of this fight, they actually ranked Ornelas in the top 10 because they saw what everybody else saw uh, in that Max won that fight. I, I just bring this up. Because we can't forget when stuff like this happens. Because this is the true awfulness of boxing. Because at the main event level, if a guy loses a fight and the scorecards are iffy, more likely than not, if a guy's fighting in a main event, he's going to get other opportunities. It sucks for him, don't get me wrong, but he's going to get other opportunities. Max Ronelos may not get opportunities like that again. He might not. Um, hopefully he does, because I hope other promoters watching saw that he's a talent at 122 and deserves uh to be signed and promoted the proper way but there are countless examples of fighters like ornelas who have been robbed by judges and wind up losing tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars some cases millions of dollars in long-term earnings because of poor judging max ornelas won the fight last weekend he did I'm not saying this to criticize Valdez, who's a good fighter. He just didn't know what to do with Ornelas in that fight. His movement killed him. He couldn't cut the ring off, and that's why he deserved to lose. Ornelas deserved to win, and he didn't. And we need to pay attention when shit like this happens because there's too much bad judging out there and too little accountability when there is bad judging in boxing. So let's remember when situations like this happen who the judges are and what the response is from the commissions, from the promoters, from everybody involved when bad judging happens in our sport. All right, that's my speech to top the show. Now, my conversation with Ade Depot. All right,
2: have you been able to sleep yet? No, struggled, struggled. Um, it's just all over the place. There is no normal going to bed at 10, waking up at 7, getting my good 8, 9 hours. It's like waking up at 2. Um, Why I'm up at 2 in the morning, I, I don't understand.
1: I felt awful. We're recording this. Adeola Depot is here. zone Broadcaster does a great job for the network. Um, I, I, I We're recording this on Friday morning. I'm still completely
2: fine. Oh, is it Friday? There. It's, <laughs> it's, Friday. it's uh, Friday. Officially, it's Friday morning
1: <laughs> in Abu Dhabi. We are in Abu Dhabi, the site of Dimitri Bevil versus Zerdo Ramirez, WBA light heavyweight title fight. Mm. And uh, hopefully by Saturday night. Well, I we have w- to be. I will be be ready to go.
2: And this is straight, like normally coffee does it for me, like, you know, normally a a pot, not a a cup, by the way, a pot of coffee. And I'm like, yes, but no, it's not. It's having the opposite effect. For some reason, how is caffeine making me fall asleep? That's when you know there's a problem.
1: Well, I've been waking up at like three in the morning the last two nights. And... Like, the only thing Netflix will let me stream is Seinfeld. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just streaming old uh, Seinfeld episodes. Yeah, that's like crazy. It's, it's, it's yeah. something else. But uh, we are here in Abu Dhabi where Bevil Ramirez will take place on Saturday on DAZN. You know, being here in this region, again, mm. I was here for AJ Ruiz Part 2. It, it got me thinking, like, is this the future of boxing where all big events are going to take place in the Middle East? Because... We've had AJ fight twice here. Yeah. Bivo Ramirez, Eddie Hearn made it clear, this is the first of several more to come yep. championship series, championship mm-hmm. level fights in Abu Dhabi. And it seems at least possible that Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk winds up here at some point next year. Is this just kind of the future of boxing now?
2: Yeah, it seems so, right? I mean, look, I don't want it to be. I think you, you miss the hardcore fans, the the working class fans that are needed in the sport. Whether it be in America, where you get the Mexicans, the Puerto Ricans, the um, in English, you get the English fans. They're going to miss out. But yeah, I mean, look at the events that you just mentioned that have happened, events that are going to happen. If AJ sort of Fury Usyk happens, it will happen over here. The money on offer is too big, and these guys seem to be able to splash the cash without no fear of the fight not making a profit. And once you can do that, and a promoter knows you can do that, they're going to want to come and bring their events here all the time. So, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I was at the AJ Usyk as well, and it's a different type of atmosphere as to what it was in Tottenham. And I know people are going to say, but Tottenham was the biggest stadium. I mean, we I get be, that.
1: It's, it's bad. Like, yes, it, yes, it's, it's not, not good. No, like, no. AJ Ruiz 2, after being at AJ Ruiz 1, Madison Square Garden, which mm. was one of, if not the best atmospheres I've ever been in, in all of boxing, yeah. to go from that to AJ Ruiz 2, where... It just felt like you're, I don't know how to describe it. It it was a bunch of people there that weren't really invested in the product. And when you have that, you don't get any kind of real energy in the crowd.
2: No, no, no. And I'm not going to mention names, but I was out last night and speaking to people that are trying to get on the guest list to come. No interest in boxing. Just want to be at an event. Like, honestly, no interest in boxing. It was weird hearing the names. I'm like... You don't know or like boxing, but yeah, I just want to be here because there's an event in Abu Dhabi and that's what you're going to get. Um So it, it is a shame that it's happening. Um But look, boxing's a, a worldwide sport and in order to grow the sport, I guess it needs to go to places like here. Um, Do you
1: buy that though? Like Eddie says that a lot, like trying to grow the sport. I, I Look, Eddie's a great promoter. I don't know that he cares so much about growing the sport as much as he cares about mm. the big paycheck. No, no, that. no,
2: you're right actually on that yeah. because like I've questioned Eddie and I said, well, why are we not doing events in Africa mm. where well, there are boxers out there and fans of the sport out there? Why are you not going there? The simple reason is because there's no money. So if you want to grow the sport, let's do smaller events in Africa to show and prove that you want to grow the sport. So I'm with you. It's a lot of BS, but... Um, Look, it just seems as though this is all inevitable. I mean, you mentioned the Championship Series. They're going to do more events here. Every fighter seems to want to come here because they know the paychecks are bigger, and I don't blame the fighters. But the promoters need to get a hold of it because we can't miss out on those big events at the O2 Arena in London, MSG, you know, traditional boxing hubs. And I think they're the ones that are missing out on great fights like this. Like, like, do the people of Abu Dhabi really care about Bivol Ramirez? You
1: know who would care? People in Southern California.
2: There you That's go. That's who would care. There you go. It's a massive light heavyweight fight. and I, I, I've walked around and I, I barely see a poster about it. People don't really know about it. People don't know it's happening. So it's a shame. Well, there's look- a lot
1: of branding on the way in. Like on the drive from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, mm. it felt like every quarter mile oh, really? there was yeah, some kind of poster okay. on okay. the way in. So there was some decent branding. But as I'm driving in, I'm wondering, who are they branding to? Like it's not – the There's a right? lot of buildings out here. Yeah. The – not a lot of people in those buildings, I <laughs> yeah. should say. Yeah. No, no, no,
2: right. I, I, I've tried to look at cheap property here because it's, it's empty. Everything's available, right? But um, look, as long as the fighters, and I've always said the, the fighters first, the fans second. I know it's probably a mix of that, but the, as long as the fighters are getting paid, and they were happy to quickly mention thank you to Abu Dhabi yesterday in their press conference As speeches, they should. Big check they should. coming Big their checks way. Big check coming both for all of them, everyone in the fight card. So um, I think to answer your initial question, this probably is the future of the sport.
1: Is there any way to counteract it in your mind? Because I've been thinking about this for a few days now. And for years, we had promoters trying to get into the Middle East. Eddie was, if not the first, one of the first, certainly the first to bring a big event in many, many years to the Middle East. And now that we're there, the floodgates are kind of open now. And I don't know how you close them. I don't know how you can convince fighters to take 60, 70 cents on the dollar in order to have an event in London or in New York mm. or in Las Vegas, Vegas might be a little bit different because of the site fees. You can probably still get yeah, big time yeah. events there, but as long as there are, you know, look, I don't know what the total number for the, of the money Abu Dhabi's putting up mm-hmm. for this event, mm-hmm. but it's got to exceed ten million dollars at least. Oh yeah, it, uh, it's got that. to
2: absolutely. And if you are a fighter, I mean, I heard so many fighters yesterday in the press conference saying this is like a holiday. They're loving it out here, the families are out here. They're not gonna not want to come out here. So A, you're getting paid more, the weather's great. They like being out here because they almost feel like they can get their job done without being disturbed by friends and family. I find it difficult to convince a fight fan or a fighter, apologies, to not want to be out here and get a bit more cheddar or do it in Sheffield. Yeah. You know, No disrespect to Sheffield, what do you wanna do? Do you wanna fight in Abu Dhabi, do you wanna fight in Sheffield? Or leads. You don't want to fight in Abu Dhabi. So, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult to reverse it. I just hope that some promoters or maybe some of the big-name fighters that already get paid twenty, thirty million $30 can think, okay, look, we're getting paid enough. Let's do one at home. Mm. But I, I, I doubt it. I <laughs> sincerely doubt it.
1: I don't think it happens either. No. I think this is where we're going to wind up coming consistently over the next few years. As long as Middle Eastern countries want to be in the business, they're going to be able to That's the to
2: scary be. thing, by the way. As long as they want to be in the business. Mm. Um and I'm, I'm guessing they do want to because they want it to use it as a, a tool to attract tourism. But how long do they want to be in the boxing business? Is this just a thing for them? Almost well, like it ain't, ain't changing anytime soon. Like, yeah, well, let's hope not because like, it's nice. A lot of oil money still yeah, there. There is still around there. A lot yeah, of money yeah, yeah, yeah. floating around. And it's lovely. Look, I mean, as much, oh, as, it's we, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, as much as we you know, haven't got our sleep patterns correct... Just walking around, the weather, the food. It's a nice place to be.
1: That's great, right? Before I went to bed at 5, uh, I walked around. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get into the Beeble-Ramirez fight and a couple other things, but I want to get your take on something we saw this week. Terence Crawford, Errol Spence, uh, died on the negotiating table uh, earlier in the week. Crawford signed on to fight David Avanisian on a new network called BLK Prime. Errol Spence is set to announce his next opponent at some point in the coming days. But these two guys... They got on Twitter and yeah. they talked all about hedge funds and uh, who has a boss and who doesn't and certain amount of splits and revenue, all things, they gotta be honest, by the third tweet made my eyes completely glaze over.
2: What was your take on I'm so happy you just said that because I remember the first tweet, I was like, oh, Terrence has woken up and he said, I want to have war. This is exciting. And then Errol responded in Twitter, yeah, Twitter, Twitter war. war. You mean even Twitter yeah, war, yeah, Twitter yeah, war as opposed to physically. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm tired. I'm done. I, I all I all I cared about was seeing you guys in the ring and not this he said, she said, back and forth, BS. Terrence the idea of Terence not fighting Errol for so many years was because he's on that side of the street. And I remember him sitting down, right it might have been after the Brook fight and You know, basically pointing the finger at Bob and saying, look, I'm leaving you because you couldn't get me the Errol fight. And although Bob, to some people, is a bit of a a dinosaur in the sport, I thought that was actually quite disrespectful. And I was like, okay, this is it now. He's going to get the fight. He's already, you know, he's pointed at Bob. You couldn't do it. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to get it done. That was a year and a half ago. And here we are now and there's no fight. There's no fight and there probably will not be a fight. I mean, I like Terrence, but what's he, 34? Errol looks like he's far too big for 147 now. There was a time to make that fight, and it's not happening. and Boxing loses out because it would have been one of the best welterweight fights we've ever seen. It would have been that good. So, ultimately, I don't know who's wrong and who's right, but we miss out. Fight fans miss out because it was something special. And that there, that alone should be put in some sort of museum, and, and it should be labeled boxing. That right there is boxing right well, now. Well,
1: I think it was... Michael Benson, who kind of put together all the, yes, the back I, yeah, and forth. Did, yeah. Like, you should just print that out. Yeah, yeah. And enshrined it. Boxing in 2022. 100%. That's what this is. 100%. And it's Every, embarrassing for these
2: guys. Oh, it's ridiculous. Honestly, it's it's so bad. Um, but you know, this is this is kind of, unfortunately, what we've just come to expect. Like When a big fight gets announced, it's almost a jaw-dropping moment for us. Like, wow. You know, like, oh, Caliplant's going to fight Absolutely. Benavidez. That's what I felt this morning. Yeah, I was like, huh, what? I, Where's that come from? Right. And that's how it should be. Yeah. Forget all the negotiate. We don't, we, as much as fans like to be carried along sometimes with negotiating, sometimes we just want to fight announced. Sometimes it is good to know what goes on behind the scenes because, you know, who, who's getting this and who's getting that. But ultimately, all we want to see is a fight poster, fight announced, fantastic. And that's how it should be. All this back and forth crap. Blaming Al Heyman, blaming this person, blaming that person. I'm just tired of it. And um, yeah, yeah. I feel like Terrence misses out more because Terrence, as much as, for me, Terence is one of the best fighters ever. You do look at the resume and you think, okay, where are those elite-level wins? And he wanted one, and he probably would have got one, I think. So he misses out more, but it's a shame it isn't happening.
1: Especially since he moved up to welterweight, the resume is incredibly thin. It's not there, thin, it's not there is it? It's not he there. beat Jeff Horn for his title. He defended it against B-level fighters like Agus Kavalaskis, Uh Kel Brook, in yep. hindsight, looks a little Amir bit Khan, better, but Amir Khan. I yeah, mean, dude, names, but not top-level, top-five, top-ten-level opponents. He does miss out a little bit. I, I mean, I've always felt I, if he really is getting $10 million-plus to fight David Avenesian on some network that's not going to sell more than 25,000 pay-per-view yeah. guys for it, more power to him. I would Absolutely. make sure I got that check in escrow. That's yeah. for sure. I'd want to yeah. make sure that money's up front. But if he can get that to just clobber David Avenesian, mm. which – no one's going to convince me that's not going to be the outcome. Like David Avenison is going to walk into a bomb <laughs> yeah. at some point and go down. Um, so, so if he can get $10 million for that, good for you. But I feel like that was the final nail in the Spence Crawford column. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: topic. yeah. It has to be. Uh, again, as I said, one, because of age. Two, because now there clearly is a, an issue with both of the fighters in terms of negotiating. So there's like, like beef between the two. And... Um, I honestly believe Errol will probably fight Keith, and then I think Errol will probably move up or do what Errol does. I can't
1: believe Errol is still at 147. He was in the Olympics at 152. It makes no like, sense. Like, and he went down. You don't often see that from guys yeah. at the Olympic level. Usually it's the progressive move up. I mean, he is a huge 147-pounder.
2: Massive. Massive. And look, we know for a few years he didn't live the life either, right? You'd see him out of events and just behaving like a bit of a, a kid. But now he looks like he's... Sort of knuckle down and lives that life, but yeah, he's, he's massive for one four seven, and that's why I felt like it, it had to happen now, mm-hmm. now. So yeah, I think we miss out on it, and it's um, it's a massive shame for boxing. It really is because that's the fight. I mean, obviously, look, we we work for the zone, but I always tweet saying that's the fight I want to see more than any other, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the network we're on. So yeah, it's a big shame that we ain't going to see it.
1: Well, the lesson and the takeaway to me is, don't do that. Don't go on Twitter and start like. Letting the receipts out on the table, Stupid. like don't it does. You're not going to convince anybody. Like yeah. people that believed Crawford was the reason for Spence Crawford blowing up are not going to be convinced by Crawford declaring that he had a fifty million dollar offer from a hedge fund, which is a little shady to begin with. Yeah. But, and meanwhile, Crawford fans are not going to believe Spence's take on it either. Like all yeah. you're doing is further solidifying your fan bases and doing it on a website. That is just a cesspool for all, for all oh, forms of Oh, it's the worst.
2: Honestly, I'd love to know who's behind Crawford that made him think this is the right thing to do. I, I, I don't understand. Like Sometimes you've got that person sure that says, just leave it. We, we, you, we know. We know. The real ones know. Just leave it. The idea of then going back and forth with Errol as well, and oh, Errol hasn't responded, so he must need them true. Errol then wakes up, what? I've not responded. I'm going to respond now. It's just silly. It was all dumb. Name. All dumb.
1: All right, let's talk about the event that is happening this weekend. Bevel against Ramirez. And this is a great fight and a great, great card. Like, great fight. I actually like this fight a lot better than the fight Eddie Hearn wanted, which was Bevel versus Boazzi. Yes. Uh, I think Ramirez is much more competitive. He obviously is much more deserving as a former 168-pound champion Agreed. who has gone through... Whatever the WBA has told him to go through, eliminator after eliminator.
2: Yes, even though these guys he fought were terrible, like that's who the (laughs) WBA told him
1: to fight, and he ultimately fought him. The question is, how competitive do you think this fight is? Bivol is coming off the win over Canelo Alvarez. Ramirez, I believe, is five and zero since his move up to light heavyweight. But as I said, he has not fought elite competition. He fought what was left of Sullivan Barrera. He fought you know, what was left of Ioneski, Gonzalez, Dominic Bozal, I don't know where he came from, but he mm. fought him. Um, how competitive do you think this fight's going to be?
2: Quite competitive, if I'm honest with you. Um, although you reel off those names and they're not, by any stretch of the imagination, elite like heavyweights, I think, I don't think we've seen the best of Ramirez. I think there's still a few more gears to come from him. Um, he's very, very big. I couldn't quite believe how big he was. I interviewed Bivol for the Zone, and then interviewed Ramirez immediately after so I kind of gauged the size a bit better and he's a big man he looks like he's actually struggling at the weight I could tell he was almost too oh big.
1: he's huge yeah like he's <laughs> yeah. going
2: he's going to rehydrate above 200 pounds easily easily and he's going to try and walk you down he's a southpaw but I think Bivol could be a bit special there's something about Bivol that he's now sort of found himself as well, I think. He's confident, his English is a lot better, by the way, which surprised me. Not that that helps his boxing ability by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he's just becoming a man in front of us um, and a very skillful man. And I I think people's eyes were open to him from the Canelo performance, but people should maybe have done their homework a bit and looked at the other fights against Jean Pascal and Joe Smith and realized that this is a good boxer. And when he needs to go through the gears, I've noticed he can do it very quickly. Now when he needs to kind of, okay, I need to maybe do a bit more here, he, he seems to be able to do it. Um, I, I think he'll struggle early just with the size and trying to work out Ramirez. But once he starts to kind of gauge distance and size and maybe test, may, maybe even get hit with something just to kind of feel the power, I think we are going to see a Bivol that is, I, I, I don't want to say the number one because I think that's Paterbia, but is definitely number two in the division.
1: The key to me is, how does Ramirez use that size? Because he's going to try to walk him down. That's his game plan. All his team this week have talked about that being his game plan. We've seen him do it time and again. Beevil, though, is really good against that type of style. I mean, Mm. we called the Joe Smith fight several years ago. Joe Smith is a pressure fighter. Yeah. And besides that one shot in the 11th round where Smith buckled Beevil, and if he gave him 10 more seconds, who knows what would have Mm. happened. But besides that moment, he lost every round. Yeah, was It was a complete wipeout. And... You know, talking to to Bevo's team this week, they know he's got to move. He can't stand there and trade. He's not going to stand there and trade. Why
2: would you? That yeah, be silly.
1: So, like, if if Ramirez is capable of cutting the ring off, walking Bevo down, throwing the kind of volume combinations we've seen him throw in other fights, I give him half a chance. But that's going to be difficult. Like mm. Ramirez, I think he's talented. His best wins though came against Jesse Hart. Like those are the it's best bad, wins on his resume. Yeah. And at light heavyweight, he hasn't. Had the opportunity, not through his own fault. He's he's fought who he's had to, as we said. But at light heavyweight, he has not had the opportunity to test himself at the highest level. So this will be, I think, Gilberto Ramirez going from B-level opponents to an mm. A, A-plus level opponent Agreed. in one fight.
2: Yeah, which doesn't mean he can't be up there with an A, A-plus, right? Because he, he well, he's beaten all the B-level opponents. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's probably the most misleading 44-0 record. There is, or has ever been in the sport, right? I mean, 44-0 sounds incredible, but then you look at the resume, and it's Jesse Hart, it's Arthur Abraham at one six eight, and that's it. Mm. You can shut the door on the rest. Um, Whereas Bivol is just... I just think he could be a special fighter, Bivol. Um, There's something about him. He's calm there. He's so confident now. Um, I think we have something special, and I think he's going to, again, go through the gears. I think he'll struggle in the first three or four rounds, just adapting to the southpaw, adapting to the size, as you say, Ramirez will be in there, plus 200 in terms of weight. But once he kind of gets all those things down, I think we're going to see something special, and I think he's going to run away with it. I think this could be, I don't know, nine three, eight four, something like that.
1: And one thing I've seen out of Bevo over the years is that he gets up for a higher level of competition. He yeah. got up for that fight against Joe Smith. He got up big time for that fight against Canelo. This is a former sparring partner of his in... Mm. In, uh, in Zerto Ramirez. Uh, it's a title defense. He knows what's next for him yep. next year. If he wins, he can potentially face either Canelo or Archer Betterbiev. Two massive money, massive prestige. Not a bad pick, level is it? Fights. Not a bad pick one, at all. Yeah. Plus, I also think it's a home run. If he beats Zerto Ramirez, b the fighter of the year. Like, yeah. I think, I don't I, think anyone... I said
2: anyone... that to him as well. I said, an... I said," and he said, I don't think so. And I said, no, no, you are. I said, I'm the judge and jury. I don't know who is... I don't know who's even close Because to guys that. aren't fighting, mostly. Like, yeah I gotta... mean. I... Bam Rodriguez, as yeah. a shout, right? Free fights this year as well. You've got to have a shout for free fights. But I mean, for you to beat Canelo and then Zerdo, back to back, you have to be fight of the wow, year. Yeah, that's that's there's that's, no question. That's solid. Yeah,
1: yeah, highest level. Beat the former pound for pound king. Beat an undefeated Zerdo Ramirez. You're you're yeah. top of the list. Agreed. Um, the co-main event is interesting to me, and that's because most women's fights nowadays are interesting to me Man, because good. women are doing it doing out it. there doing with it. making top fights where men are just talking about them. Jessica McCaskill, a lot of people that listen to the show in the U.S. have become more familiar with her. She did lose to Katie Taylor a few years ago, but since then, she's had two wins over Cecilia Breakus to become Mm -hmm. the undisputed champion at 147 pounds. Now she's dropping down to face Chantel Cameron for the undisputed championship at 140. For the record, nice bit of politicking by Matroom and Rick Ramos and the people involved with this because... I don't know why it's for Undisputed. Like the other two belts were vacated by Kaylee Reese. Yeah. Because she got a better offer from HBO to be an actress.
2: And... Yeah, yeah. How they've <laughs> almost just grabbed those two belts without people fighting for them and said, we'll, we'll, we'll take them <laughs> and put them on this fight card is strange, <laughs> honestly. I, I find it weird. But look, I, ultimately, I do think it's the two best girls, potential. Well, Chantel definitely at 140 because she's proven it. And I think Jessica McCaskill in the past has fought at 140, won a title there. So. Ultimately you are probably looking at the two best at this weight class anyway. Um now that so Kelly How is- good
1: how good is Chantel Cameron? Because McCaskill, I've seen a lot of pressure fighter, good conditioning. Uh I wouldn't call her heavy-handed per se, but in terms of she's not a one-punch knockout artist. Not a lot of women in boxing are. Yeah. But she can hurt you and has hurt previous opponents, including her last one mm. uh, who quite literally quit in the middle of the Said, break I don't want rounds, to do this anymore. And said, I want to go home to my kid. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. this anymore. She effectively retired her. So
2: Unbelievable. I've never seen that, by the way. I, did, ever. I,
1: had to wa- I was sitting ringside, like 10 feet away. I'm walking over. And I'm trying to get someone to translate what she's yelling yeah, at yeah. her manager down below. It was wild to see that. But that was a feather in the cap of uh, Jessica McCaskill. How good is Chantel Cameron?
2: Very good. Honestly, very good. It's weird. Everything you just said there about Jessica McCaskill, pressure fighter, come forward. I was like, is he talking about Chantel there or Jessica? because Chantel pretty much mirrors that. I don't think she has the power that Jess does, but, but not many fighters in, in women's boxing do. Baumgartner, Savannah, maybe. Um, but Jessica definitely, Jessica definitely has more power. But I think Chantel is definitely the better boxer of the two. Um, I've seen Chantel spar guys and handle herself. And yes, look, they're not tearing up as they shouldn't be, but in terms of the movement, in terms of the clinch, she's strong, very big at the weight, which might not be a positive, we'll get to that, just because I feel like she she balloons up in weight a lot, like really balloons up in weight and then sort of shrinks herself down to 140. But she is very, very good. And in the UK, people have been begging to see her versus Katie Taylor because they think she's the one that should and can beat Katie Taylor. So look, she's very good, very confident, trained by Jamie Moore. She's in a good camp. She's around good people. And I think they think this is her time. I think they think that, You know, Jess has maybe had her time. What's Jess now, 37, 38? Right around there, yeah. I I think she
1: might be 38,
2: yeah. Yeah, and I think they think that Chantel is now sort of the fresher of the two and the one that's going to go on. But
1: how uh, concerning to you is that ballooning up in weight? Because I've heard that too from, Mm. you know, different people around Matchroom and around the UK boxing scene. And whereas you see McCaskill. And even though she was fighting at welterweight, she was fighting at 144, 145. Yeah. Making 140 is not yeah. a problem for her. She really is a natural 140-pounder. Mm. With Chantel, like, is it a concern that between fights, maybe she's not as disciplined as she needs to be?
2: Yeah. I think—I always think I don't care who you are. I think that will come to hurt you down uh, down the line. We've seen fighters live like that, and it just, it just doesn't work. <laughs> I, I never understand it, like— this is a short career. Do whatever you want to do after after boxing, when you're done, in your mid-30s, fine, but in between fight camps, live like a fighter, live like an athlete. That's the problem with fighters in general. It's almost like they feel because they only fight two or three times a year, like they're part-time athletes and they can do whatever they want. You can't, especially when it comes to making weight. But I think this camp, like seeing her fight Bustos and seeing her sort of in between fight camp and seeing her now, I think this is probably as disciplined as she's been. So she's obviously taking this very, very seriously, and she knows she has to because in front of her is a dog, in Jessica McCaskill, um, which surprised me why Jessica McCaskill is such an underdog in this one. But um, I think for this fight, I don't think it will matter going forward. They've got to put, they've got to put a stop to it. But I think for this fight, she's really trained her butt off. So I think, I think she's good for this one. I think she is.
1: Where does the winner of this fight, in your mind, land in the Katie Taylor queue? Like you know, Katie. Katie looks to mm. 2023 and starts to assess what the best fights are for her. Look, if she fights the winner of this, she'd have a chance to become an undisputed champion in two weight classes. You know Katie is mm. consumed by legacy, consumed by being in big fights. She's been in with Jessica before. That could be a decent US fight if she wants to go back and fight there. But I would assume a matchup with Chantel would be huge in the UK.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the one. I think if Jess wins, I don't, I don't think they're going to try and go down the Katie Taylor, Jessica McCaskill route again. I, I don't know why? I know Jess is desperate for it. I, I, I don't think Katie is so much. Why would you go and revisit a fight you've already won? Maybe that's her, that's her thinking. Um, but if Chantel wins, she's desperate. My, my only sort of question with that, and I, I've spoke to Katie about this already, about going up and weight again. She's only been up to 141, and so that was against Linda d'artu and she didn't like it. She, she got bullied in that fight a lot. So... One thirty-five is perfect for her. You get fighters like that. I always thought, remember watching Carl Froch back in the day at one-six-eight. Never wanted to go to one-seven-five when I thought it was there. No, one-six-eight is my weight class. We just so. saw
1: with Golovkin in a way. There like, you go, right? I don't think it made a big difference in the Canelo fight, but yeah. he's one hundred and sixty pounder. One hundred and sixty pounder,
2: and I think Katie's that as well. Katie's just I'm a one thirty-five. So it goes back to that weight discussion with Chantel. If Chantel wants to fight Katie, I think Chantel will have to go down to one thirty-five she will. Or maybe you could do it at like 136 and maybe.
1: call it for the, all the belts in <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean both oh, weight classes. Yeah. That's
2: kind of what they do but yeah. I, I think they want the Chantel one. Look, Katie wants to go to Croke Park. I spoke to her after her last fight and that's what she wants. The, the I know Katie's the star and Katie can probably do 80,000 tickets but you need the right dance partner and I think as much as Eddie will try and sell the Chantel fight. The only dance partner is Amanda Serrano.
1: Well, be, be a meteorologist for me for a second there. Like, <laughs> When can you do a fight in Croke Park in the UAE, weather-wise? Like, when is it okay to do a fight out there? Because that would determine when she can fight there, obviously.
2: Yeah, you, you're looking really between April and August. So that's, that's, that's the window of when you get decent weather. Again, we're in Abu Dhabi here. You're not, you're not getting anything like this, no matter where in and what time in, in Ireland. But around April to May is when you can do it. And I think that makes sense for Katie Taylor. So Katie Taylor, I feel like she might need longer camps now to get into it because she is coming towards
1: she had, You saw her fight. You were at her fight. Um, she's still standing in the corner between rounds. Yeah. And that's a leg issue. Like, mm-hmm. I remember being in the locker room after the Serrano fight and she had been standing for half of it, then sat in between rounds before, and I asked Ross uh, Emirate, her trainer, and he's like, it's because of the leg. The cap. Wow. We're, we're trying to keep it uh, from tightening up and wow. causing her more problems. So her standing up between rounds was... Is that what it's for? See, it's I a physical thing. That. Yeah, it's a physical yeah. thing. As we've seen a little bit of it. I think, I mean, after the fifth round of the Serrano fight, you had to sit down because you were yeah. just, <laughs> just exhausted. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think physically, you there's some wear there, and it's mm. still lingering with her to the point where she has to stand up in between these rounds. So uh, the clock is definitely ticking on... Uh, the prime years for I just wonder, like, she loves being active. If we don't know what's going to happen with Serrano in the next few months, she mm-hmm. wants to get that fourth piece of the 126 pound title. It sounds like the WBA is going to accommodate her and order that fight to happen with Erica Cruz. But
2: I'm missing something here, Chris, because I, I know Jake was talking about this as well. Like, she was undersized, and look, she clearly was undersized because she can make 126. She's taller, but yeah, she's she, taller,
1: and she's fought comfortably at 140 before.
2: Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest. For for lots of that fight, she kicked Katie Taylor's behind. So I'm like, what what am I like? Get back in there and do it again. Like most people, like I thought Katie might have nicked her, but that could be my sort of um, my bias towards Katie Taylor. But a lot of people thought Amanda won that fight. So I'm like, roll the dice and go again. Honestly, I thought Katie was hurt numerous times, and I I I never really thought Amanda was hurt. She took some punches, but I never thought she was out on her feet. Katie Um, Taylor is Amanda's the
1: puncher there. Katie is. As much as Katie kind of train, this was my viewpoint of. It, as much as she kind of trains to sit down on punch. When she gets into the fight, she's just kind of not amateurish because she's adapting. I don't even mean she's a back moves. foot kind of. Yeah, and picking it's like point punches. scoring, point yeah. scoring. Like yeah. right which look, she's undefeated and she's won some, a lot of big fights. That works. Uh, Amanda sits down on a lot of her punches. She throws a lot of punches too, more than Katie even. Mm. But she sits down on a lot of these shots. She's a hitter. Yeah. One of maybe three, four women tops she that are can hitters in boxers. Hits.
2: Yeah. She can hit oh another name that they brought up for Katie is Alicia Baumgardner as a potential. I'd almost like well. to
1: see her get that fourth fight Choi for the fourth piece. 130 yeah. uh, pound title. Yeah. And then you can go up as undisputed versus undisputed. Mm. That to me makes more sense. I if we're going to do an in-between fight for Katie Taylor, I don't I'd rather see her fight Chris Cyborg. Like yeah. give her the crossover fight. Like she, she's desperate. For it's it's Cyborg. Not, they wanted to do that in Vegas. Like, uh, yeah, early, they, they were trying to make that uh, this year. Didn't work out for various reasons. Cyborg wants the fight. Katie yeah. Taylor wants yeah. the fight. Katie Taylor wins lopsided oh. fight. I don't it, care as long as how Katie, much bigger Chris Cyborg yeah, yeah. is. Katie Taylor wins that fight lopsided. Chris Cyborg, tremendous mixed martial artist, not a boxer. Not at seems all. like a wonderful person too, but not a boxer. Mm. But that's what Katie deserves, doesn't she? Like give her. The the she's hugely popular gimme over there yeah, where she can she make a seven-figure paycheck and get herself a high-profile but easy win.
2: Yeah, it's a great shout. I mean, they, they've mentioned her. They've mentioned Holly Holm as well. But yeah, I'm with you. Especially Cyborg had a She made her boxing debut, didn't she, recently as well? So she's good to go. Um, funny, though, as much as Katie will destroy her, I'd love to have seen Katie versus sort of the version of Cyborg seven years ago when she literally just was... A madman or a mad woman. Apologies, just would have she would have thrown up a thousand punches around. That sideboard doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, I, I agree. Give her that, an easy fight, and then we wait for Croke Park. We wait to see how all the pieces fall into the puzzle. Um, but I, I'm desperate to see her versus Amanda again. I'm actually desperate to see her at MSG. That, and people got upset when I said that at the interview, just because. Croke Park is 99.9% going to be Irish. And I, I didn't mind the split at MSG, half Puerto Rican, half Irish. And you don't normally get that at boxing events. It normally is sort of one one fan base only. It's very rare where you're going to get a 50-50 split and fans going at each other. And, and I feel like it deserves that again. But um, look, the money's going to be at Croke Park. They're going to go Croke Park. Or do they come Abu Dhabi? Do they come to the Middle East?
1: I, Katie's... Won- I don't think, she Kate, I don't do think Katie's it. coming. She I, don't, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think that. <laughs> I, I don't think that. For you various reasons, but I don't think Katie Taylor <laughs> agree, is uh, is taking that that uh, that route. Uh, I will say this. If she fights at Croke Park, I'm going oh, one way or the other. Because I hear that uh, that the Irish love it when Americans of Irish descent roam the countryside looking for relatives. I hear they like that a they lot. They
2: love it. when When you do your <laughs> ancestral history... They want, they, they're so proud to kind of show where Mannix is from here and this is where <laughs> your family report. That was an awful, hey, I'm awful Irish
1: accent. 99.9%, like I have like one relative from like Finland or
2: something, but everybody else is Irish, Irish. right there in the countryside. So yeah. I
1: intend to roam uh, the Irish countryside looking for Mannixes. And you know what the funny thing is,
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there could even be an Oladipo somewhere down the line, but um, <laughs> what I hope that's her, if it is Croke Park, I hope that's her farewell fight. I really do. I hope yeah. that's that. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, I watch her now. You
1: guys, like Bell, you said the, said the same thing after it? the. Well, he said after the Serrano fight, he wanted that to be. He wanted Katie to yeah, retire. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he was. He's desperate for like, her to retire. You guys over in the UK seem to want Katie to walk away sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen her sort of come out of the Olympics, and I just remember watching her early and how fast she was. And again, you mentioned that leg injury. Now, obviously, that didn't exist, and she's just she was just everything. She was just so quick and. I watch her now and she's she's been in wars. Mm. And I don't think we think of it with female fighters as much as we do with male fighters, but she's been in two wars with Delphine Passoon. a war with Tasha Jonas, a war with Lina dartu a war, war, war with Amanda Serrano. I mean, you don't want to see someone take the punishment she takes. She, she She's not a defensive-minded fighter anymore at all. She gets in there now and she'll have a war with you. And I just feel like I want to see her go out with all her faculties in place, good money in the bank, and maybe continue the boxing journey from from outside of the ropes as opposed to inside them. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm like Tony. I don't know why I've got this connection with her. I feel like enough's enough.
1: Well, it's it's funny. You're probably right, but she, and I said this on the zone last week, she might be in the best position of anyone in men's or women's boxing because of all the options she has. The ones yeah. we mentioned, Michaela Mayer is yeah. going to be moving up in weight. They've been rivals since the Olympic days, mm-hmm. that would be a big fight. She mentions fight. her just, a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of action this is the for problem. It's
2: the worst time for her to call it quits. The, yeah. Like right now with the, with the price of the women's fights going up and her getting seven more money, figures. it's It'd seven be, figures yeah. for every fight she probably does yeah. now. So you're right. There are so many options, but I can see her coming unstuck with someone that a few years ago wouldn't have even laced her boots. And, and yeah. that's the, that's his boxing, isn't it? I guess. So, We'll see. She's got tough decisions to make.
1: Yeah, no question. All right, last thing for you: the obligatory, "What the fuck is going on with Connor Ben?" question oh, at Jesus. this point. The yeah. latest development that we saw in the last week was Connor Ben admitting to testing positive twice now for uh, the same banned substance, this fertility drug that uh, is still has still not been explained how it got into his system. They've kind of transitioned to blaming the testing, blaming contamination. Yeah. People listening in the U.S. that watched a lot of Major League Baseball, we have seen this song before. We have seen this movie before. Mm. In Major League Baseball, you had all the great home run hitters from the early part of the 2000s. When they eventually got busted, they were blaming the testing, they were blaming contamination. Most of them eventually came around and said, "Yeah, I did it," <laughs> and you know, cop to it. Yeah. You know, 10, 15 years later, it just feels a little familiar to hear mm. someone like Connor Ben blaming contamination and potentially blaming. Uh, some of the testing. Where do things stand uh, with Conor Ben? What's been your reaction to how he's started to try to explain this this stuff away?
2: Um, he's not explaining it well enough. Um, there seems to be. I, I will tell you. This is me trying to just paraphrase Conor Ben. I'm going to tell you something, and then, oh, I can't tell you the full bit because of legal reasons. You either tell us or you don't tell yeah. us. Like you can't just do this. I'm going to give you parts of the story then stop when the questions get difficult and say, for legal reasons, I can't really go down that route because...
1: They really aren't either. Like, I've asked legal it. experts this too, like,
2: repeatedly over the years. Like,
1: if you're innocent, you are allowed to screen your innocence from
2: the rooftop. That's you're one not- thing I said immediately after. I said, look, as soon as this came out, I said... And i I'd done a video about it, and I, maybe Connor Ben's team weren't happy about it, but I said, look, if, you are in, if anyone accuses me, Mannix, of anything that I've not done, there is no legal team in the world that's going to shut me up. I'm going to be screaming because my reputation right now is in the mud. I'm not going to rely on lawyers and Eddie Hearn to speak for me. I'm going to come out and speak for myself. Mm. And if I say a couple of things wrong, so what? I'm going to just speak. Hiding behind people, and I think that's the only word I can use it, hiding behind people is just not working for Conor Ben. And it's got to the point now where no one believes him. So 99% of the British public, and bear in mind, you know, he's a British fighter and we try to get behind our fighters. No one believes him anymore. And that's it. I, I said, you might be able to prove somehow that you're innocent in the court of law because of legal ramifications. But in terms of the public, you're done because they don't believe you. If the public don't believe you, the public can make or break you in the UK because they won't buy your fights. They won't put bums on seats. And that's a problem. So right now it's looking really, really bad for Conor Ben, Really bad. Now, I'm not quite sure what it is. I think he's doing a media round. Um, on different broadcasters next week, he's going to be grilled by. You know, we we as bo- you're actually quite different because you as a, a boxing journalist, you actually ask the tough questions in the UK. it's almost this thought of boxing journalists are quite soft when it comes to the fighters. Like they're scared to ask questions because they might be blackboard and you, you know that's it. You're banned from events. He's going to go to places where proper journalists are going to ask him questions who don't give a damn about boxing. I want to see how he survives that. But I I don't see... I I can't see anything but a ban. And hopefully... Look, if he's innocent and it's the big if, fingers crossed it comes out. But I'm with you. I feel like in six or seven months, it might just be a case of, I effed up, guys. Yeah. Or, or,
1: I mean, to my knowledge, nobody's been fired on his team. Like, you would think that there'd be a fall guy at some point. Whoever his nutritionist is, to whoever is in charge of giving him whatever he puts in his body, not to say it's their fault or that mm. they did anything, but that would be kind of a typical move yep. by someone in Conor Bent's position. He's clearly known since what? Late August when that first test came back that this was out there. And here we are in early November and there's been no reasonable explanation. That's wild to me. It's crazy. It's wild that you don't even come up <laughs> yeah. with something. Even Jarrell Miller had some bullshit for a <laughs> yes. while. Like he was spinning some yarns about about some things. Like there's not even been like a believable. Like, I don't know what happened with Canelo all those years ago, but the second the positive test came back. Canelo came out and said it's the meat in Mexico. That's there was what's... testing of that meat. It turned out it was like 30% were testing. Yeah. So you could, there was a degree something. of deniability there. You could, you could buy that. Like, the, I've, I've not heard anything, and you're close to the denier, but that? have you heard anything that you buy? I've at this heard
2: point? nothing. Like, and you, I'm happy you said that because, I mean, everyone, I remember when Billy Joe Saunders was going to fight um, Demetrius Andre yeah. and, and he blamed it on nasal it? spray. Nasal spray. And yes. I'm like, whether you believe that or not, okay, that's what you said it is. And I, still, I don't believe that nonsense for, for <laughs> one second, but that's what it is. And Tyson Fury and the boar meat and the farmer and rubbish story again, but you've given us something. Nothing with Conor Ben. And like, how long can you keep silent for? So, no, I, I've, I've heard nothing. Um, and look, the longer it gets, the worse it gets. I, I, I'm, I felt that maybe they felt, and this is the team, that the longer it gets, it will start just to go away and people will forget. It. No, it's actually becoming worse now because Chris Eubank Jr. is starting to talk and everyone now and even Eddie I've noticed has started to distance himself a little bit by saying things like well I'm his promoter I'm not he's you know if he comes back we promote his fights whereas before I felt like Eddie was willing to die on that hill with him now I don't think it is the case so yes yeah, it's, it's not looking great at all um, he's obviously given up his British boxing board of control license which again I'm guessing someone's advised him to do and the conspiracy theorists amongst us are like, Well, if he's done that, is that because then he can't be banned by them and what's the reason for him to give it up? So it's It was a it was a
1: tactical move, like Jarrell Miller wasn't initially banned for the Joshua test because he was he never had fought in New York. He wasn't licensed yet yeah. in New York. So it was a it's a bit of a loophole, but whenever he tries to come back, we know this, he's gonna get tagged. Like yeah. he's not gonna be able to fight anywhere credible. Mm. He can fight somewhere to fight, but like he's not gonna fight in you know, the Caribbean or, or something no, like that. No, like of course. That's not going to happen. Agreed. So, uh, do, here's the last p- point I would ask you. Do you think he fights in 2023?
2: No chance. No chance. Um, if, if he, No, I actually, I just don't, I don't. I, I think, I think they're going to be quiet about it if I'm honest with you. And this, again, this is my conspiracy hat on, conspiracy hat on because boxing, as you know, is the wild, wild west. I feel like he'll just be quiet and there might be a ban or almost like a silent ban that we don't know And then he just comes back and we're not quite sure what's happened, but he's, you know, behind the scenes, he's been banned for 14 months. And he's just, oh, I'm back. And no, I wasn't banned. And boxing, honestly, (laughs) boxing. It's so disappointing though, because that was such a big fight. um, And it was one that sort of we as British fight fans needed. We needed a big fight like that. And it was going to set out the O2 arena. It was going to do good numbers on the DAZN broadcast. um, And for that, just to fall flat like that, because of this... And so I think that's why it's almost unforgivable. And I think that's why the British public are really upset with him, just because everyone had been fully invested. All the shoulder programming was good. Everything was... I did a face-off, which did over a million views. Like People were really like, oh, my God, this is it. For that to happen four days before, or for it to be cancelled at least four days before, is just a kick in the teeth for everyone.
1: All part... Of what's been a pretty crappy overall 2022. From it, really, shore to it has, shore, hasn't
2: it? From shore to shore. It's been bad. It has, hasn't it? We talked about that as big well. Points. I was thinking that as well. Like, What's really happened this year? And I'm, Not much. Honestly, we had a decent much. start. Kind of.
1: Yeah. And then the last six months, nothing. The fall has been outside of what we're doing here on Saturday. And December, Chocolatito versus yep. Estrada Part 3. That's a great fight. Mm. Not a lot. It's been a very bare fall. And it's at this shame. point, start of 2023, ain't looking a lot better.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can I ask you a question? Yeah. Any movement on the Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis fight? So
1: what Oscar's saying is true, that the deal is basically done. The framework is done. I reported this a week ago, a week and a half ago, that it was done. Um, now the question becomes, how does it get done on the broadcast level? Is it, can it get done with a co-distribution, mm. which is what zone wants, yeah. or is there some kind of financial package that PBC and Showtime can put together that it, it wouldn't be this, but it would effectively be buying zone out? Like, is yeah. there something they can do to make that happen? I mean, a lot of people have kind of glommed on to this idea that Ryan Garcia doesn't have an exclusive contract with Zone. Well, he does have one with Golden Boy. Golden Boy has one with Zone. Mm. It's a distinction really without a difference. And if it wasn't, there wouldn't be talks about yeah. a buyout yeah. of some kind. Obviously, I think DAZN prefers to do a co-distribution. And look, honestly, it's not that hard. It's not ideal for Showtime because they take a little bit less of the pie, yeah. but it's not difficult to do. And some of the biggest fights we've had in the last eight, nine years have been co-distributions. Pacquiao versus Mayweather. Yeah. The two Fury-Wilder fights, big events. UFC and Showtime got together to do Conor McGregor versus Floyd. It's not difficult. It's just a little bit more pain for the Mm. networks because they don't get as big a slice of the pie and boxing fans don't care about that. Like, they don't. If this falls apart because the networks can't figure it out, the network's gonna take the backlash. Not the promoters, Uh. not the fighters. This has become a network issue that needs to be resolved. And look, we do, City are working for DAZN. People can say we're biased all we want, but DAZN is trying to make it happen. Like, Mm. they're trying to work and do a deal involving Showtime at this point Mayweather with the promotions, Al Heyman, Showtime are not inclined to do a deal with
2: this side. It's crazy. Again, again it's crazy. And look, if, I, if I'm in the zone, Ryan Garcia is our next big star, right? I mean, behind Canelo and AJ, he's that guy that there's no way I, I don't want to be involved in this.
1: Nor should they. I no, think they, they no, paid no him chance. like almost $10 million last year yeah. to fight. Like you don't just walk away. Neither should Showtime, by the way. Showtime shouldn't have to walk away from Gervonta. They've done his last 11 fights. They deserve to be involved in this fight as well. It's not Mayweather versus Pacquiao, but it's a fight that will exceed 500,000 pay-per-view 100%. buys. How many fights out there will do that? Crawford Spence might not do 500,000. It's a better fight, but it might not do 500,000
2: pay-per-view Agreed. Ryan Garcia, Gervonta, is just... It's what it's the injection the sport needs, and I mean, look, it could be a trilogy. Oh, could be anything. Honestly, could, could literally these guys could fight one forty. They could. Javonte doesn't have the frame for one forty-seven, but he certainly has the, the the girth. He could go up there as well. But yeah, I mean, if if I'm if I'm the zone and I look at the situation with Devin Haney, where we came over and we, you know we built this Devin Haney mm-hmm. fighter up, and then he's gone and become undisputed on another network, we're not letting that shit happen again. There's no way. So no, I think they need to continue the fight for this one. It's a shame. Look, again, it goes back to boxing. It's a shame if it falls apart because of the the networks. But I think both Showtime and DAZN should almost be fighting for this one.
1: There's so much pressure on both sides because there's no good alternative for either guy. Like if Tank walks away... Isak Cruz too? Does anybody really care, especially no. on pay per view? No. Ryan fights at 140. He's not going to fight one of the title holders or one of the top guys. So it's basically another tune up fight mm. at 140. I don't. I, the the this is the one fight like Crawford walking away for the 10 million dollars and that I I don't like it. I kind of understand it to a certain degree. This there's no understanding at all. Yeah. This has to get done. Yeah, some they way somehow so has to get
2: desperately done. desperately want it as well. Both of them that they're. I don't use the word hate a lot in boxing because sometimes just fighters trying to sell fights, but they genuinely dislike yes. each other. Yes, <laughs> they and absolutely. they both have fight-changing power. Like oh. You can sit there
1: and say Javante's more experienced, whatever, Ryan's got his chin up in the air, but whoever lands first probably wins.
2: <laughs> yes. like that's just the way it goes. <laughs> they both have completely devastating power. Two different fan bases as well. It, it, it'll be fantastic. Oh, build where up where would, would that fight take place? L.A.? Probably
1: L.A. Yeah. Ryan and Gervonta do well out there. Yeah. Ryan's a West Coast fighter. Gervonta, to his credit, sells anywhere, but yeah. Ryan has mostly sold in Southern California. It's a big Ooh. fight at Staples. No, actually, no, Oscar said this, and he's right, Vegas. They, they actually have, and I was told they agreed as part of the promotional pact uh, on a January date in Las Vegas. So Vegas, they'll put up a big site fee for it. You'll get all the people from Southern California traveling there, just a major event. Fantastic. I, I, can't, I can't allow myself <laughs> to get excited about this. I can't do it, I can't do it. Adiola Depot, follow him on social media. Check him out on Saturday as part of the Zone broadcast, Beevil versus Ramirez. Always good to catch up, man.
2: Cheers, brother, thank you very
1: much. And when we come back, my conversation with Eddie Hearn.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
2: Huh? Hi, checking in for
1: Well, the NBA season is underway, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. Plus, FanDuel is the only sportsbook that's giving all customers three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet. You guys know from listening to me, following me, I am an NBA guy, and gambling has become a big part of the NBA landscape it's competitive out there at the moment and at the moment you've got some teams like utah portland teams that you didn't think were going to be that good they're good teams that you thought were going to be good philadelphia aren't quite as good so some interesting places to make bets right now fanduel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay plus with live betting you'll get updated odds on games that have already started The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So download FanDuel today and use promo code BOXING to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, Eddie Hearn is here. We are both in Abu Dhabi. Eddie is in undoubtedly more luxurious confines than i am in at the moment but we're here for the dimitri Bevel zerto ramirez wba light heavyweight title fight that's a fight you can see on saturday on DAZN. eddie you are becoming a mainstay in the middle east uh how are you enjoying this visit
3: it's been tremendous i mean um look we know obviously there's a lot of people trying to do a lot of fights in the middle east few ever materialise actually I think we're the only promotional company that's managed to deliver any big fights in the Middle East yet and we've had two experiences in Saudi Arabia for the World Heavyweight Championship and, and Saturday marks a new journey with Abu Dhabi and the DCT here in a long term partnership for the Champion Series and I think we got a hell of a fight you know a hell of an undercard as well we're going to have a huge crowd at the Etihad Arena I'm really excited you know it's quite nice to be popular, Chris, really, for a week, you know, and uh, just come somewhere where people actually are genuinely excited about what you're about to bring to the country. And and I, I really feel like the Middle East is going to be a pivotal market and territory for the sport of boxing over the next few years. And we're delighted to be here to stay.
1: So elaborate on that a little for me, because Adeola Depo and I were discussing this earlier. Is this the new normal where if you have fights of a certain level, it's... Likely that they're going to wind up in Saudi Arabia or in Abu Dhabi. Is this going to be kind of part of the boxing ecosystem moving forward?
3: Well, it will definitely be part of the ecosystem. I mean, you know, there's only so many fight nights that that they're looking to do. So obviously, there's and there's a multitude of, of major fights a year. So it's not like you know we're going to see boxing disappear from the United States and the UK. I just feel like this will be another stop on the the map for global boxing. And, you know, obviously they're very aggressive. They want to bring the big fights here. Um, and, yeah, I just think, you know, some people, you, know, you have to understand the world's a big place, right? And, and just because boxing's been in Madison Square Garden for many years and, and the MGM grant, doesn't mean that every big fight has to go there. Now, you know, at, at the end of the day, not every big fight can be housed in the Middle East. But I certainly think, you know, our plan will be to stage four events in next year, you know, and I expect to see potentially Usyk against Joshua, sorry, Usyk against Fury in the Middle East, you know, in Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, they, they want to be players in the market for big fights. And, and with that being the case, you will definitely see this become a, a, a solid destination for big time boxing.
1: It's great that fights get made and this fight probably got made in part because of the financing from the government here. It's also great that uh, fighters are getting paid, you know, good money as they are in this situation. But how do you balance, you know, kind of taking fights out of organic locations and what you might lose as a result of it, whether it's a sold out crowd at Wembley, a fight like this, uh, in a vacuum, it would probably do a really good crowd in Southern California where Ramirez has has developed something of a fan base there. How do you balance that with, with being here and being in organic locations?
3: I think it's just the start of the process. You know, every market that you go into that where you see boxing develop and grow has to start somewhere. I mean, the fact is we'll have over 10,000 in the Etihad on Saturday. And I think the, the atmosphere will be fantastic. You've just seen UFC here two weeks ago. It's one of the best UFCs that we've seen in terms of atmosphere. They did the NBA the week before. They've got Formula One next week. You know, at the end of the day, you have to educate the audience. Now, we know that in Los Angeles, there's a lot of fight fans. There's a lot of, you know, Hispanic fight fans Mexicans. that were going to come out and create a great atmosphere. Boxing is something that is embodied in their history, you know, and their culture. So, obviously, over here, it's not. But it doesn't mean that, you know, the people here don't watch boxing every week around the world. They do. And they're very excited to see it here. And I think you'll you'll see that within the atmosphere at the weekend. I think, uh, you know, again, we shouldn't just limit ourselves to, oh, you know, boxing. Boxing is in London and it's in, you know, boxing is a global sport and we have global ambitions with the zone. We, are, you know, I keep saying it and I always normally say, you know, I don't I don't want the credit, but I actually do want the credit. Like, we are the only global promotional company. You know, we are staging fight nights in different countries virtually every single week. Who is doing that? Who has ever done it before? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were in the UK, then we we're in Brisbane, then we we're in Mexico, then we were back in London last week, now we're in Abu Dhabi, we're in Cleveland next week. We go back to London, then we go to Phoenix for Estrada Chocolatito, Leeds for Warrington Lopez. Like, you know, this is a pretty special project and journey that we're on. And we have ambitions to raise the profile of the sport in every key territory that we feel has potential. So yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not saying you're going to get an atmosphere like you would in downtown LA for this fight, but you're going to get a pretty wild atmosphere. And there's a lot of people very excited to see boxing launch it.
1: There's a lot of positives to what you just said there. Um At the same time, there's a lot of negativity right now in boxing. I mean, that. What we saw this week with the Twitter spat between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, I thought was the worst possible thing that could have happened between those two guys. We're seeing less and less optimism, at least publicly, about Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. How do you feel about where boxing in general is right now?
3: I think how many times have we seen over the years in boxing, you know, you get a spell where three or four big fights that you want or one big fight that you want doesn't get made and everyone comes out and says, oh, I've had it with boxing. And then all of a sudden last night, you know, plant against Benavidez gets announced, you know, whether that's a bit of PR or whether that's, you know, actually going to get an official date, which I believe the latter, fantastic fight, great for boxing. And you'll just see, I feel like being in the industry, there is a bit more added pressure and potential glory now for making some really big fights over the next couple of months so people have to understand that promoters want to make big fights like one we have to for our broadcaster two we have to for the sport three we want to for the fans four we want to make money and the only way you can do that is to really make big you know marquee nights so you are unfortunately dealing with at times an inflated market uh at other times, people taking advice from people that have absolutely no understanding about business or the numbers around the fire. And I stressed before, you know, I don't often feel sorry for Al Heyman. I don't feel sorry for him here. But the reality is, is Spence Crawford, and I've had criticism for saying this before, but whatever you want to criticise me for, and the same with Al Heyman, we know the business, we know the numbers inside out. And the reality is, is that Spence Crawford is not that big to the wider world. It is a it is an unbelievable fight, right? In boxing, it's sensational. But the reason Al Heyman won't put a guarantee up for that fight is because he doesn't even believe in the numbers. Right? So if you're budgeting that fight, I'm budgeting that that fight at 350 000 to four hundred thousand pay-per-view buys. That's where I'm laying my guarantee at. These guys are being told by some bloke who works in the local store around the corner that it does a million buyers, no problem. Right? So and and this is the problem. They're not prepared to take the risk on those numbers. And sometimes when you've got a fight that is supposed to be of a huge magnitude, you don't need to pay a guarantee. I go back to Fury Joshua. You know, the crux of that deal was done. No one asked for a guarantee because, you know, it's absolutely monstrous. But with a fight like Spence Crawford, you just don't know. You know, it can do 300,000 buys. It can do 800,000 buys because neither of them have ever drawn on pay-per-view. Right? I see Garcia against Tank as a much bigger fight than Spence Crawford. People might disagree with me. The fan bases are bigger. The fan bases are totally separate as well. You know, Ryan Garcia has a very prominent position on social media. If I'm backing, if I'm putting up money for fights, I'm choosing that one to put my money up for. Right Now, that's a different story, those negotiations. That's a different fight. That's more of a political situation between broadcasters. But the reality is, is a lot of these fights aren't as big as some of the fighters think they are. And fighters are, on occasion, being paid money well beyond their commercial value. You're seeing it with Crawford against Avanissian. So it's quite a distorted market and it's genuinely not easy. You know, fans don't really care, but we want to make the big fights. But sometimes, as a business, we also have to make the right business decisions. So we're not comfortable going into a fight and potentially hemorrhaging Four, five, six. I mean, look at when Top Rank did Crawford Khan. I mean, I know what Khan got paid. I was involved in that deal. I know what Crawford got paid. They they hemorrhaged millions of dollars on that fight. I don't think it barely, you know, surpassed a hundred thousand buys. Mm. So, what gives you the confidence that Spence Crawford all of a sudden does eight hundred or a million? Well, well that, a was fighter, a weird, that was that a weird. That was a weird
1: one though. That that was a weird one though because it sounds like neither guy was looking for a guarantee. It sounds like that was broken apart for some other reasons maybe some transparency behind what was all the revenue that was going to potentially come in at least Crawford saying he was willing to take no guarantee for that fight so I I I, I I, tend to agree I I mean I tend to agree with you though good no I I did tend to agree with you about look guarantees kill pay-per-views they do like you go back to the 80s they weren't real guarantees for a lot of a lot of fights you had from you had fighters taking the large percentage of the split, which they should. Um, but with all these guarantees, somebody's gonna lose a lot of money. And I don't know how you change that. Like Crawford supposedly is getting guaranteed something like ten million dollars to fight David Avenisian. <laughs> like if you're I don't blame yeah. him for taking that that money. No, that, for that's sure. a fight he's gonna and,
3: win and by blow And if the alternative you know if the alternative is fifteen million to fight Errol Spence, unless you really don't care about the money and you really are chasing the legacy, then you take the Avenisian fight. Because at the end of the day, it's a fight you could fight a thousand times. You'd never lose once. And Easton is a good fighter. But Crawford's just levels and levels above it, you know? So, um yeah, I don't know, Chris. I mean, I, but I do feel like we're all under pressure to make big fights. Like, you need to know that as well. I'm under pressure for our own reputation and legacy and love of the sport, you know? Like, I don't want to be a guy that doesn't, couldn't make big fights. And I think there is a feeling seeing Oscar out here, you know, he's on good form out here. You know, I think we, we want to make a stand now and make good fights, but we do need cooperation from the fighters and their lawyers and their managers and their representatives that actually we know what we're doing. And we do understand the financials around valuation for events.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about, this fight because it is a terrific fight. Uh Bevel Ramirez, uh two undefeated champions, Bevel at 175, Ramirez 5 and 0 oh, since moving up from 168. This was not the fight that you initially wanted. You were trying to make mm. Joshua Buatsi against Dimitri Bevel <laughs> right out here in Abu Dhabi. How do you feel about it being Bevel Ramirez instead?
3: Pretty good now. I mean, I was very disappointed at the time because I wanted I really wanted to give joshua Boetsy that opportunity obviously he's, ha- he's our fighter and he's been with us since the debut and that opportunity will come but the buzz around the ramirez fight you know on a global scale obviously that was a big fight for the uk but th- this is a big fight for the us obviously bivol is very well known in the uk as well we've got a big uk um sort of uh appearance on the undercard from barrett and cameron and yafi and people like that so I'm excited. You know, I feel like this is one of the best fights in boxing. And I said yesterday at the press conference, it's 20-0 and 0 against 44-0. and 0. It's right up there as one of the top fights, in I mean, certainly in the division, but really in boxing as well. It's a fascinating fight. I think it's really good timing. You know, like you said, all fight fans who get down in the dumps. Well, tune in on Saturday night and you've got a, a fantastic fight and a great undercard as well. And there's a real feeling when you talk about money, Chris, obviously both guys are getting paid well this week. But there is a big feeling around this fight from the camps and the teams that these are actually two guys that are very interested in legacy, you know, and actually believe in themselves and want to fight the best. I mean, certainly we've seen that from Dimitri Bivo. And being around Ramirez, I get that feeling as well. Like, you know, you want to make money and sometimes you want to have a couple of, you know, run out fights. But I think Ramirez feels like this is my time to prove myself now. Become a two-time, two-division world champion, and he believes he can beat Bivol. Bivol's ice cold as always. I mean, I'm sure you've been around him. You know, he just—I mm-hmm. feel like there might be more levels to Dimitri Bivol, and I think the the confidence he will gain from the Canelo Alvarez victory may see a very special performance from him on Saturday.
1: I think you're right that both these guys are consciously aware of legacy; that they are fighting for more than just a paycheck, even though they are getting big paychecks. And that's exemplified by Beevil basically running around all week saying he doesn't want a Canelo rematch, at least not mm-hmm. yeah. right away. He's been pretty locked in on potentially fighting Archer Better next year for all the titles at 175. I mean, you work with Canelo. Canelo has said publicly many times he wants the rematch with Bivol. If Beevil wins this fight, uh, what's your level of confidence that we see Canelo and Beevil in the next one?
3: Well, I mean, Bivol definitely has ambitions to be undisputed. I mean, listen, that might end up coming at 168. Who knows? You know, he talks about he looked very fresh uh, on the scales today. That's for sure. You know, and um, look, at the end of the day, legacy is important. Money is important. And and there is certainly a a degree of legacy as well around any Canelo Alvarez fight, especially the rematch. But... I believe Dimitri Bivo is the best 175-pounder in the world, and he wants to prove that. I mean, Bivo against Bettebev is an unbelievable fight. You know, but when you look at the schedule, I think he's due to fight Yard in early February or something like that. Then you have Ramadan coming, I believe, sort of end of March, early April. That's going to keep him out till the back end of the summer. So there, there will be pressure on Dimitri Bivo, should he win on Saturday, to consider and negotiate terms of the Canelo Alvarez rematch. Um, Canelo wants that fight. You know, he, he's a winner. He wants to revenge that defeat. He feels like maybe he wasn't 100% or it wasn't his best performance, but it's going to be a very, very difficult fight. So long way to go, and uh, I think a lot depends on the outcome and, and how everything plays out on Saturday.
1: It was reported this week that Canelo had surgery on that left hand, something he said he was going to after the Golovkin fight. Do you have any kind of information about where he's at with that surgery, how long it's going to keep him shelved?
3: Yeah, I spoke to him after the surgery. I think he was very happy with how it went. Um, he talked about being able to punch in two months. So I don't see, you know, I, certainly he's given me no indication. And I, I think it's too early to say May is fine. But I believe you'll see him return in May because if he's punching, you know, towards the end of December, there's no problem being ready for a May fight. He's already trained he's already fit. Um, could that extend till September? Maybe. You know, he's had a, a big run of fights, but I think he's very happy with how it went. And, you know, knowing Saul, he'll be looking to and wanting to get back into the ring as soon as possible.
1: Is he. I mean, he's never out of opponents, but, you know, in the aftermath of the Golovkin fight, which closed the chapter on that rivalry, you look ahead and you see Beevil out there as a revenge fight. I guess he could campaign more at 175 for more titles, but is. Canelo, in any way, kind of running out of really marketable opponents? I mean, he was chasing something a year and a half ago. That was the Undisputed Championship at 168. He accomplished it. What's kind of left for him out there?
3: Well, I think he, he might be running low in terms of the kind of fights that really excite him. You know, like, it, what one thing I've learned with him is it has to be a challenge. And it just has to be something that excites him. Like, voluntary defenses and stuff like that. I mean, it's all based on the fight, but certainly, you know, I think he's been calling out for the likes of David Benavidez and those kind Charlo to have real fights and then build what would be a fight that would get him excited. Listen, if Benavidez beats Plant, I think, you know, Benavides is a fight that would excite Canelo Alvarez. But, I agree. I agree. That's, and it's good that that fight's been made. Same with Charlo. You know, he's never fought anyone. And if he comes into a big fight, Canelo has no problem fighting anybody. Um for me, I think one of the things left to do in his career is fight internationally. You know, I feel like he's a, a huge star. I'd love to bring him out to the Middle East. I'd love to see him box in London. Of course, what an event it would be to see him box in Mexico, maybe Japan, Australia. You know, that that's what could be something that excites him, you know. But he loves real fights. You know, he wants tests. He's not interested in just having a run-out fight. And... Uh, you know i'm i'm sure there are plenty of options available but but certainly the the rematch with Dimitri bivo is one that is in his mind that he must overcome
1: uh, a couple of things before i let you go uh i i was at the press conference on thursday and you are all in on galalyafi like you are all in your chips are on the table yeah. with galalyafi becoming a superstar in this sport you call him the best prospect in boxing there are a lot of good prospects in boxing why are you so high on galalyafi
3: well, it's the way that he goes about his business. I mean, firstly, anyone that wins an Olympic gold medal is an unbelievable talent. I mean, especially in today's world of amateur boxing, he breezed through that really to win that. And you know, he's had two fights. Right, he's had two ten-rounders straight off the bat. I mean, he's looked brilliant against you know top twenty-five in the world opposition. Now he has actually quite a big step up on a Saturday, a guy that's ranked in the top fifteen with a couple of governing bodies. I just see a fighter that goes about his work so effortlessly, you know, like a bit like Jesse Rodriguez. And, and, you know, I look at that division now and any division that you can take a foothold in Jesse coming down to fight for the WBO, Julio Cesar Martinez, WBC champion, you know, Sonny Edwards is over with the IBF. And then you've got Galalia fight could jump in, whether that's WBA, wherever it's going to be. And I, I just see fights like Martinez against Yafai, Jesse Rodriguez against Yafai, like they're big, big fights, but, Watch this kid on Saturday. You know, for people that haven't seen him yet, watch the way he goes about his work. He's still—it's only his third pro fight, but you know, at the moment, he's not too concerned about getting hit, and that will have to change as he goes through the levels. But a real exceptional talent and ice cold as well, Chris. You know, like you get people like Dmitry Bivol, who I don't think his pulse went over forty when he was sitting <laughs> in the change room about to fight Canelo on Cinco de Mayo. yeah fires of the same mold—real special fighter.
1: Yeah, no question. Beeble definitely was relaxed before that (laughs) Canelo fight. It was surprisingly so uh, in that sense. Um, Anthony Joshua is going to be out here uh, this weekend. (laughs) Uh, We're into November right now. Obviously, he's not going to fight in December, but are you any closer to kind of locking down a Joshua schedule in the first half of next year?
3: Yeah, that's really a lot of the conversations when he arrives here today, you know, sitting down and mapping out that timing. Time moves quite quickly. You know, before you know it, it's December and, you know, and, and the plan really is to fight in February. You know, I think the thing is with AJ, similar to Canelo, he's not really motivated to have sort of tick-over fights or whatever you want to call it. Every fight's dangerous. Every fight requires a big training camp and a big build-up. So there's a very good chance that he could face the winner of Dillian White and Jermaine Franklin on November 26, straight off the bat. There's also a chance he could fight a top 15 guy. I think Otto wilden has been mentioned, Philip Hergovic, you know, these kind of guys... Um, you know, we have had a reply now from a, an August email from Shelley Finkel to say that we would would be happy to discuss that fight, which is encouraging. Whether he goes straight into a Wilder fight or has one first, probably the latter, but that's definitely a fight for 2023. So it's just a case now of really pinning out, pinning down that training camp and, and determining a date, and we expect that to happen in the next week.
1: Has the landscape for Wilder changed enough to make you more confident that fight could get done? Because to zone you yeah, I mean, look, a lot again, of money years ago
3: i think that bearing in mind the pay-per-view results in the last fight you know i think it's going to be difficult for Deontay to land the kind of deal that he would want from boxing now outside of an aj fight or or one of those who six or furies and and we want that fight as well it's a tremendous fight for boxing i mean Deontay's a you know, a, a very dangerous fighter. He's a brilliant addition to the heavyweight division. And, uh, I, you know, I've said before that Wilder Fury, sorry, Wilder Joshua might be bigger than Fury, AJ. And some people dismiss that. And he's probably not. But I'll tell you what, you know, time that fight comes around, I mean, that is one of the great heavyweight fights of all time. And, you know, there's a lot of people, particularly out here, who would really be aggressive to make that fight. And uh, certainly one, I believe, will happen in 2023.
1: Well, make sure you call Madison Square Garden before you make that fight anywhere because that's an incredible New York fight as well. So make sure you make that phone call to Sal and all the guys over at MSG first. Uh, Last thing for you, Um, a lot of people listening to this are U.S.-based. The schedule, this is a good fight coming up. You've got Chocolatito Estrada in December. How active do you anticipate being in the U.S. next year? Because we've seen kind of some of your stable winnow out a little bit. You've seen some other guys like Andrade and others move on. Um, how active do you believe you're going to be in the US?
3: Yeah, active. I mean, I think we've ended up doing something like eight or nine shows in the US this year. I think we've done five or six in Mexico. Um, so I, I think a, a similar amount. I mean, we're finding our feet very well. zone as a business and a platform is in a tremendous position in America now. Yeah, better than it's ever been. The brand loyalty, the brand recognition, the profile is is at an all-time high. And we need to capitalise on that and put a great schedule together. Again, you know, when you look at the schedule, coming off Canelo against Triple G, you know, you move into um Vivo against Ramirez, Estrada against Chocolatito three. Like we I still believe by a mile, the zone carries the best schedule in American boxing and particularly in global boxing. So America is a very important market for us. We want to be as busy, if not busier, there next year. And, you know, I feel like we're in a, we're in a very strong position. So, uh, looking forward to a busy 2023.
1: Well, Eddie, appreciate your time. I know that you and, and Jake Paul have some legal issues going on, but I was down in Puerto Rico in his camp a couple of weeks ago, and papered all over his gym are pictures of you with the caption "Fight a real fighter." So, you are mm. very much in the 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 mind of team Paul down there Rem,
3: rem free <laughs> Rem free that's quite that's quite flattering but good luck to him and you know we'll sort the legal stuff out but fair play to him you know i know i know the criticism he's not fault a real fighter and anderson silver was 48 but there's a lot of prospects that fought nobody for 10 fights I agree. so um I, I like what he's doing i think he's bringing eyeballs to the sport and good luck to him
1: and you've said this before, but you don't foresee any issues with a Serrano-Taylor talks with what's going on
3: with, no, with all you. Right. And I mean, too, too, too big an opportunity for our clients to be mm. childish. But the other yeah, stuff I, will get sorted out. All
1: right. Eddie, appreciate it, man. Good luck on Saturday. Thanks, mate. Time now for this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. And I am in Abu Dhabi this week, so I'm focused on the card headlined by Dimitri Bevel and Zerto Ramirez. But I am not gambling this week on Bevel Ramirez. The odds, just not great. I like Bevel to win that fight. You got to bet a lot to win a little in that matchup. So I'm going to look a little further down on the card. To the co-main event, the women's title unification fight between Jessica McCaskill and Chantel Cameron. This is for all the belts at 140 pounds. McCaskill, the undisputed champion now, at 147. Cameron, who has two belts at 140, they're going to fight for all the belts at 140 pounds. You got all that? A little bit confusing, but it's a big fight in women's boxing. I like the underdog in this fight. Jessica McCaskill is coming in as a plus 138 underdog. Jessica McCaskill has been on a roll lately. She won the undisputed title by beating uh, Cecilia Brakus. That was a big win for her. She followed that up by winning a rematch against Breku, so she had two defining wins over the last couple of years. Her last two fights, Candy Wyatt, she won by knockout. Alma Ibarra, she won by knockout. She's really been on a roll since losing to Katie Taylor back in 2017. She's fighting Chantel Cameron, who is undefeated, who is very good, who does have eight wins by knockout. But I really like McCaskill in this fight, and I'm not sure why she's the underdog. Plus 138, according to FanDuel. Bet McCaskill to win. That's a someplace you can make some money on. Take McCaskill to beat Chantel Cameron uh, in this fight. Now, method of victory, you can make a little bit more. McCaskill, by decision, is plus 210. I, I never bet on knockouts in women's box. And they happen from time to time, but more often than not, especially at the highest level, we see these fights go to decision. I think McCaskill wins by decision as well. So, if you want to make some money this weekend, look to the fight in Abu Dhabi. Watch it on DAZN. Bet Jessica McCaskill to win. Bet Jessica McCaskill to win by decision. Those are my picks, courtesy of FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Ade Oladipo and Eddie Hearn for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
0: Live Nation presents Concert Week.